Okay, so our first Bible reading will be Psalm 51, and if you're using one of those blue Bibles, that's page 566. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sins will turn back, sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, would not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then balls will be offered on your altar. Our second reading today is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. And again, if you're following on the Blue Bibles, that's page 1179. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, in any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then take my jo- then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one Spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, for each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, in be, be, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, so um, good to see you all again, as I said before. Um, and I hope you've been finding it helpful, this series, as we're thinking about the five things that matter to us as a church, our five purposes. Um, if you're here for the first time, you, um, 
don't forget to grab the booklet where we've got lots of details on all the, the big things that are happening for us um, in regards to our restructuring of things and our team and how we're structuring around our five purposes. And so um, we really are committed to us living and breathing these uh, as a church. And so I'd encourage you to really wrestle with them and think about them more. Um, we will have a question and answer time today. Anything about the talk or the series, um, you can ask a question. You can text it through to me if you like, if that if make, is easier for you. And my number's in the um, inside cover of the booklet if you want to do that. And we can have a look um, at some more questions a bit later. So, let me ask you to start off with, as we have already alluded to, we're thinking about maturity as being a purpose. But let's pull that apart a bit. And the first question I want to ask you is, when did you grow up? When was the moment when you thought, that's assuming you have, but when did you grow up? Is there any moment in your life when you thought, oh, that was a kind of bullshit moment. I can't just be a kid anymore. Is there any moments in your life? Frank? When I got When you got married? <laughs> did he, Kathy? <laughs> no, you don't have to answer that. Um, yeah, I reckon, I reckon there's a few moments that I definitely think in my life where I thought, oh no, I can't be not responsible anymore. I remember I studied occupational therapy, didn't know, and I got my first, uh, after four years of study, and my first job, and walk into the, um, the hospital, the, the mental health hospital that I was working in in Campbelltown in Sydney, and one of the first things that happened was I was given these responsibilities for all these groups that I was supposed to run, and I just had this overwhelming sense of, I'm not a little kid anymore. <laughs> it was it was quite daunting. It was quite overwhelming. Are you still a kid or have you grown up? The other time I, I think I distinctly remember was when Emily was first born and I was holding her and thinking, she's a girl, I'm one of four boys, I don't really know what I'm doing, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to grow up really fast. And that was a freaky moment for me as well. How do we grow up? What means you go from immaturity to maturity. Well, here's um, someone's suggestions of um, how you get mature. Hopefully, it'll be big enough on the screen there. But if you're immature, you interrupt. When you're mature, you listen. You know everything when you're immature. You know nothing. You're disrespectful. You're respectful. You're rude. You're polite. You're, you're the most important who acts out as envious and wasteful. Wasteful. A part of the whole understands that they are uh, their environment, not separate. All these kind of things that this person suggested, you go from one to the other. That may be disappoint you a bit as you see yourself on more of the left column than the right. What I want us to do today is, I don't care about that, those categories particularly, some of them may cross over what we're doing though, but what I want us to see is that maturity in regards to the Christian life is not, oh, I believe that Jesus has died for me, I'm going to heaven, Done. Maturity is a lifelong project where we are supposed to change something that we're not always great at. We, we have the advantage at, um, at Grove of having to change all the time. We've changed venues. We're changing again just into the gym when it finishes. And we're going to... Um, we started out, at, out of nothing, in a sense, only a couple of years ago. We can change and yet... I think we already, after three years, start to find change hard. The Christian life is about change. 
because we've acknowledged our sin already today, how do we become more like something else? And that's what I want to take you for today and I want you to really see that if you are going to be committed to being a follower of Jesus, you can't be content where you are. Um, if, you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, today is really helpful for you because hopefully you'll get clarity on the distinction of what makes you a Christian and why you do that and not get them mixed up. And so I hope that'll be helpful for you as well. So why is maturity important? Well, I think first and foremost we see that this is where the Bible takes us all the time. In Ephesians chapter 2, um, in the context of, we talk about Ephesians 2 all the time because it's the bit about by grace you are saved through faith, you know that whole thing, you do nothing to earn your salvation, it's all Jesus. But that whole passage ends with verse 10. Have a look at it up there on the screen. Let's remember the context. What is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Have a look at verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's plan for us, who have been saved by grace, is to change in the way that we live because we've got here good works to do. And so we've been thinking about this over this series about what are our purposes? And we've started with magnification and mission. I don't know if anyone can remember the two images that I used to try and help us highlight those from the previous two weeks. They're up on the screen already. There you go. We magnify God's glory. That is... We put a spotlight on what is already there, how glorious God is. And when we come together, Sundays, we do that together corporately. In all that we do, in the praising of His name, in song and in prayer, in everything we do, we glorify God. We do it because we're on mission. The King's kingdom is our mission. We want God's kingdom to reign as it is and as it will be fulfilled. And so, if this matters to us, we want to be mature in glorifying God and, and being part of this kingdom that we're on mission with. And so, what I hope you see is that each of these purposes, we've spent um, as a network a lot of time thinking about what does this look like and what does this mean? And each one in the book that has that highlighted for us, kind of defining what it is and then what it looks like, our actual tangible purpose in each one. And so as we move to maturity, I want you to see that what we think maturity is, well, it's what the Bible says, this is the way we've just packaged it. As Christians, we have been given a whole new identity in Christ. That's not foreign to us at Grove, is it? We talk about that all the time. We are being transformed into the likeness of Christ through a lifestyle of repentance and faith, enabled by the gospel and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, maturity isn't about just two lists or moving from one to the other. It's maturity is about you weren't in Jesus and you actually rebelled against God, all humanity, and now you are, and because you are in Jesus, you're changing. You're changing to be in Christ likeness and so we're constantly turning back to him in repentance and faith that's not just the beginning and we can only do it by the spirit 
And so I think a very helpful way for us to think about maturity, as we'll see in a moment in in, um, the Scriptures, is that all of life is about Christ-likeness. All of life is about Christ-likeness. Some of you may have heard of or know of John Stott. He's probably one of the most influential evangelical figures in the last century. Uh, He was the rector of a... uh, Anglican Church in England for over 30 years um, and he's written many books and com- commentaries and very accessible to you and I and then some more detailed ones. He's, he's written some many significant things and at the end of his ministry, he died in 2011, in his last sermon in 2010, he tried to figure out how, do I, how will I word and package what the Christian life is about. Okay, you're saved, then what's it about? And in this sermon, in his last sermon, he said, God wants his people to become like Christ. Christ-likeness is the will of God for the people of God. I don't need to reinvent the will. I think that's absolutely perfectly said. And so that's what I want you to see today. God wants you, if you love Jesus... To be like Jesus. Not in a little uh, silly bracelet, what would Jesus do in all these bizarre scenarios where we can't particularly figure out, but in a profound, life-changing way of how does my character, how does my ethics, how does my morality, how does my hope for the future, how do the decisions I make about all of life, how are they completely and utterly shaped by him because I want to be like him? John, um, in 1 John, we read in, in the Lord's Supper, you know, we, we sin, but we have forgiveness at the cross, it's guaranteed. He goes on to say how much we are loved by God, that his love is lavish on us and we are children of God. And after that, in 1 John uh, 3, in verse 2, dear friends, now we are children of God. As you have come to the cross, you've trusted in him, and what will, will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Our trajectory is to be like Jesus into all eternity. Did you know that? It's to be like him. And so, we want to have that mindset. Our reading today, the second reading in Philippians 2, is a really great little summary. I think we can summarise in one word what Jesus was like in this passage. Let's have a look at the beginning of it there. If you've got Philippians 2 open, and I've got the first four verses up on the screen for you. If you can read them there, you should be able to. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Saying where you're having the same mind, like mind, in unity, one, and then verse 5 
which is just highlights it beautifully, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So as you're looking at the people around you, when we are at our best at Grove, that's when the relationships are both Christ-like and centred. It also means that sometimes it doesn't work out brilliantly because we all get it wrong at times. But this is what we aim for. This is what we pray for. This is what we, our direction is. What is this same mindset? Well, this beautiful picture in Philippians 2. I'm just going to pull it open. Because here, I think we get it summed up in one word, don't we? In this passage. I wonder if you've got a word that comes to mind as you heard that read uh, for us in Philippians 2. Because I'm going to read it. And what I want you to think about is, what, sh- what does Jesus get to be like? What does he, or who is he? What is his state? His place? What does he choose to do? You ready? Jesus, who in being very nature God, who he is, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In a sense, he put that aside for something. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking up the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God, who becomes flesh, his creation, why did he do that? Well, verse 8, in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a, on a cross. The one who everything was made for, by and through, as Colossians says, comes into the world, becomes flesh, and then cops the worst death imaginable for the sin of the whole world. And he did it out of obedience and love of his father. That's what he did. And so then his father, verse 9, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So then he's exalted. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He deserves glory and honour and power and should be praised. And that's where he will be. But he gave that up when he came. And so ultimately every tongue confesses Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is, in a nutshell, the character of Jesus that we can shape our maturity direction towards? It's humility. Jesus there is no one with a greater place. There's no one who should get up on the stage and say, I am the greatest, because he is. There's no one who can say, there is no one on my plane who is as smart as me, who knows everything. There is no one who can say, I actually am giving every single person now across the world breath. And if they're not breathing, it's because I haven't given it to them. No one can say that. He is that high and to be exalted. He is that big. And yet, out of humility, he gave that up. 
And you see how humility is about putting yourself aside for the sake of others. The example of Jesus that we have here, which is framed in your attitude should be like Jesus, is that he gave up his place for the sake of humanity. It's profound, isn't it, as you let that wash over you and consider it. We have a great capacity for thinking we're humble when we're not, I reckon, as humans. I don't know if you've noticed that. So often when you're watching something, whether you're watching a a celebrity do something and everyone else says how humble they are to a sportsman who thanks people and they go, oh, wow, he's so humble. To Like, is that really humility? It's not exactly this humility, is it? To people who say something that they've done for the sake of others while all the while kind of praising themselves on the other side. You know the um, humble brag? Have you heard of the humble brag uh, phenomenon? This big thing that happened um, a few years ago where... Um, a comedian and writer wrote a book and set a Twitter hashtag, humble brag, and just kind of kept on posting how people keep on saying things about, gee, I um, I wish, I wish my I wish my life was easier when I bought my seventh Ferrari. Like, you know, <laughs> it's that's not really being humble, is it? And it, and it's really funny seeing how people in the in the context of being all down are actually bragging. But I think that's just because, that's not just because of uh, things that others do. I think it's part of our problem as fallen uh, humans. We're constantly wanting to bring ourselves up. And if we can do it subtly, <laughs> even all the better. Jesus is the exact opposite. He, who is the exalted one, faced the wrath of God for all of the sins of humanity. That is significant, isn't it? See, to be mature, to change, is for us to realise I have to be revolutionary in the way I humble myself. What does that look like? Well, as we think about our purpose, I think we see that. This is in your booklets. The, we want to see God's people, you and I, deepen in faith, hope and love. We don't do it in little isolation. We don't do it, okay, I'm, I'm going to hear this and I'm going to go home and I'm going to sit in my uh, bedroom and I'm going to think about how I do that by myself. We do it together. And we do it in our knowledge of God's word and dependence upon him in prayer. Um, if you've been here a few weeks, we used to have banners um, before we moved and we're going to get um, new ones when we change the words a bit. But each week, there's something on the banners that's still in our purposes because we really haven't changed what we believe. It's just kind of a rewording of it all. Does anyone know on anything on our banners which might have anything to do with humility? I grabbed the wrong one. Awkward. I'll tell you anyway. Does anyone know what it is? That was smooth. We are a Jesus Shaped community, but I'm not going to give that to you, Julie, because that will work for all of them. Um, so it's a half mark, maybe. Um, there's, 
a list of things that we actually do on one of those banners. I wonder if you can think of it. I'm sure if you saw it, you go, yeah, that's right, of course, that's just obvious. We do serve one another. That's our last week. We rely and depend upon the... No, I'm not giving you any. You're trying though, Julie, and so you get an extra, extra point for that. Um, yeah, that's right. The priority of word and prayer. You see, the Bible, God revealing himself to us, and us in relationship talking to him because he hears us and wants us to relate to him, is at the foundation of how we grow together. And on our banner, we had that we live by relying on God's word, because there's nothing else we can rely on, and we depend upon him in prayer. When you trust someone, you talk to them and ask for their help. And so prayer, coming to God with your requests, is how you express that. We have a great priority for word and prayer, and I hope you know that about us at Grove, and I hope you're part of that. You know, Paul didn't tell Timothy, um, his offsider, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness just because it sounded good. He told him because God is the one who shapes your attitude. And we don't have to wonder. We have God's word in its uniqueness, in its literary style, in all its complexity. In term two, we're going to do the book of Daniel. We're in for a great ride and it is tricky and it is fun and we get massively challenged with how sovereign God is and how we need to trust in him. But it's hard, but it's fun. We don't just get a book and it says, God says, do this. Okay, I'll do that. That would be boring anyway. But we have God's word given to us in this amazing way and we're to invest in it. The thing that changed my life, if you were to pick the one moment when I went from being, I believe all these things about God, to being, right, I need to truly submit to Jesus, was when a friend said to me, I believe the Bible is God's word, and that means that God speaks to me, reveals himself to me. Do you believe that wholeheartedly? This is where God speaks to us. He is not silent. He has revealed himself to us through Jesus and all of the Bible is revealing that reality to us from page one to the end. So if we have this priority of the word, the question is, how much of a priority is it in all of your life? Or do you just go with a certain level and then you're happy with it? And it's the same with prayer, isn't it? If God is the one who changes us by his spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only one that changes us. He's the only one who helps us see that we need to be like Jesus and help us to become like him. God does the work in us, in other words. How often do we talk to him about it? How often do we ask him about it? Do we saturate our lives in prayer? In your tough times, it's harder to do, but it's more crucial. And it's not a mathematical equation. You don't go away today and you think, okay, so I need to do more Bible reading. So I'd maybe read it once a week, but if I read it five times a week, I'm going to be more like Jesus in two weeks' time. (laughs) 
It doesn't work like that. But I think we can kind of feel like that. We can kind of feel like that with community groups. If we go to a community group for a long period of time and we don't feel like we're getting a lot out of it, so we stop going. But that's not how they work either. You saturate yourselves in a life and relationship with someone and then over time God works in you. You don't remember all the studies. I can't even tell you off the top of my head what we did at the last studies last year. But God works in us through that way. One experience I had that points that to me is when I was at Bible college, ironically, there was one year in Bible college when I wasn't in any weekly group, just for a whole array of different reasons. I wasn't in any weekly group. I look back, in my four years of Bible college, I had one horrendous year, one year where I was the driest, where I was struggling the most, and it was that year, the second year. I'm not blaming you not going to Bible study. If I went, I would have fixed it. But I think it's just interesting when I didn't have a time where I wasn't just studying for a task or a purpose, not just sitting with God's people and reading His Word. That was the year where I was the driest, that was where I was struggling the most. And so that's what we do. And so as we do that, the way we've structured, and you could do, say this many ways, but I think thinking about deepening in faith, hope and love is really helpful. You see, faith is trusting God in everything. That's why we talked about prayer and depending upon Him. Just make sure you get out of your head two things about faith. That it's, close your eyes, I'll step up here and I'll just jump. And that's what faith is. That's sometimes how Christianity has turned faith into something that is, you believe in it when you have no other real reason to believe in it. Where we're going the opposite. We believe in it because we have a good reason to believe in it. Faith is trusting in something you believe to be true, like you all believe that those chairs aren't going to break and you're going to have a broken back. You have faith in those chairs. That's one thing about faith. The other thing is, don't think that it stops when you're saved. Okay, I've trusted that Jesus saves me and that's it. You then have a lifelong journey of trusting in God in all of your life circumstances. You lose your job, I need to trust in God that he's got the way going forward. Relationships aren't working the way that I desperately want them to. You can blame God or you can trust in him even though it may never resolve the way you hope this side of heaven. Your health deteriorates. Why me? Why not someone else? God has a plan for me, I don't understand it, but I need to work out how do I trust him in these situations. Faith is trusting in God in everything and we do that better and better as we come to him in his word secondly hope the beautiful thing about hope is that the bible's hope is different to the world's use of hope may have said this to you before maybe a lot of times the world's hope is lotto hope you go and you buy a lotto ticket and you hope you win it's really unlikely it's very no chance the random people do it that's hope world hope bible hope is we have a real assured confidence in something that will happen into the future. As Paul says he's convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We have a certainty of where the future is heading. And so when we rely on God and his word and depend upon him in prayer, we are constantly casting our eyes to heaven because that makes sense of the now. And we could say so much more about that, but I'm not going to right now. But if you forget the future and you're left with now, what's the problem? Well, if now's not working out the way you want, 
you can get bitter towards God. If you forget the future, you may think that all the blessings that are into eternity are for you now, and so you need to prosper now under all circumstances, and that's not what we're promised. And then thirdly, love. The one that, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, these three remain, faith, hope and love, and the greatest is love. Loving like Jesus is the key to relationships. This humility he has is expressed in love, isn't it? Last week on mission, we talked about the engineering of mission is God's love for Jesus' love for us compels us. All of life is like this. Love is what should shape our community. Let me just quickly remind you the example that saves us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we don't ever leave the cross in maturity and go, okay, I've been saved by the cross, now I've got to figure out how do I do all these things to be more like Jesus. God demonstrates his own love. You want to constantly come back to how do I grow in maturity? You reflect on all the aspects of the cross, the sacrificial nature of it, how God uh, sent his son for us, how he's lavished his love on us by taking our place, how we need him and yet he's provided for us. You see, our salvation is the example that saves us. We're saved by the cross and it shapes how we live. In our last week on ministry, when we see how we do life together and serving each other is a sacrificial way, we we, we get back there. This is a little cue for you to think about. In this last week, how much time have you been concerned about loving people? compared to anger, bitterness, hatred, envy, any of the others. How have you gone there? Last week, when can you think about times when you specifically went out of your way to love one another? Someone in our community, it would need to be people that love each other, but those who don't love us. We can't be content, can we? And so as we get near the end, let me just say maturity from the right perspective is really important. Let me be clear. Mission, last week, must come to your life first. If you want to grow and be more like Jesus, if you don't realise that you need to be saved first, it's a disaster. There's no point to it. We grow in Christ because he has made us in him. Secondly, magnifying God's glory is why you want to mature. We want to do all things for the glory of God. We don't want to mature because it's a little assurance. One of the greatest tragedies in Christendom is when this being trying to be more like Jesus, trying to be a good person, doing all these things, is like added to your a way of getting to heaven. As if this actually helps God save you. I'm comfortable with Jesus on the cross doing it all for us, as God's word says. But we can be tempted to do that. It can just be a little extra help. It can just be this little assurance that we have, yeah, yeah, Jesus saved me, I know I live by grace. But in the back recesses of our mind, we think, you know what? I'm just going to have a little assurance in the things that I do. And lastly, maturity will not be completed this side of heaven. You know how the, the one John verse, um, we shall, shall be like him? We don't get 
um, into a spiral of guilt when we're not perfect. Because you won't be. We need to change, but we will make mistakes. When Jesus returns, we receive new creation, we become in the new creation, perfection is there, not before. I think they're helpful correctives. So three little things to finish on how you respond. I want to ask you, if you do believe this, and I, I hope that you do, are you then content with where you're at with God? Or after you're seeing the humility of Jesus, the desire for God to want us to be like Jesus, that no matter where you are, every day of your life is about not being content. See, I think instead of contentment, it is desire to change more. Are you happy where you are? Secondly, a passion for God's Word. Sometimes we can think, I'm not a reader. I don't, I, I, by the way, I'm not a reader. I'm not a reader. Um, I don't like thinking heaps. I'm just happy with knowing Jesus died for me and yet the Bible. I'll get the Bible on Sundays and that is it. Are you happy with that when God's way of talking to you about Himself and relating to you is through him giving you his word, which you can wrestle with the rest of your life. No matter how good at reading you are, it's irrelevant. Is it just too much effort? Or, do you think, you know what? I would just love to know more about God's word. I'd love to see how the Bible fits together more and more. I would love to understand how Jesus has done things for me that I haven't fully grabbed hold of yet. I'd love to see how the Spirit works in my life and changes me in in God's word. I'd love to see how suffering, this big theme in the New Testament, actually helps me live life now. A passion for God's word must be who we are. And so lastly, a priority for prayer in your life. We must talk to God. He wants to hear from you. I think one of the biggest things you can do to work on change and maturity is when people ask you what to pray for, you work really hard and not going, oh, nothing. Are you getting up tomorrow and doing something? You've got something to pray for. We all have things. We, we, we should be just talking about everything that's going on in our life that we want to pray for. The big things, the little things. We saturate our life in prayer because we want God to be the one we depend upon. Can I encourage you to be someone who embraces change when it comes to being like Jesus or not like Jesus? Let me pray as the musicians come on up and we're going to sing a song in response. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that you have saved us in Jesus, but saved us with a purpose, to be in relationship with you forever, like our King. Help us to be transformed more and more into his likeness. Amen.